0: Easter was seven days ago, wasn't it? If we were celebrating Easter, worshiping Easter, that would have been seven days ago that uh, he was resurrected. And uh, I want you to imagine this morning that you are one of those disciples, and you went through everything, you saw everything, and it is now seven days from that. I want you to try to put yourself in the shoes of those disciples. You've spent three years with Jesus. You have eaten and slept and walked with him and seen everything he has done. You know this man very, very well. You have really developed a relationship with him. And, uh, and along with that, in those three years, you have really developed some really high expectations and hopes for what Jesus is going to do. Now, they are not what he had intended. They are more your own carnal uh, ideas. But you've got these really high hopes, I mean extremely high hopes. And then all of a sudden it comes to a screeching halt because he is erect, arrested and then crucified on a cross. And he is pronounced dead and he is buried in the tomb. Um, and, uh, but now you also begin to miss Jesus in that Friday through Sunday morning. You are really missing this man because you have depended on him for everything, and he has gotten you through everything. If you needed food, he got you food. If you needed money to pay Caesar, he got the money. Uh, If you were in trouble, he was always there, always had the answer, but he is gone now. He is in the grave. But then he is resurrected. Imagine that. You get the news of that, and uh, he appears to the disciples on six occasions or so, and and he, can you just imagine that, a flip-flop in your feelings? Maybe one way to get your attention on that is on uh, Yahoo News last week, my wife and I read an article that there was a couple down in Argentina. They had four children, and they just had their fifth child, a premature baby, and and at the hospital was pronounced dead. The baby was taken to the morgue, put in a box, and about 12 hours later, the father and mother go to the mortuary to begin to make arrangements for this child that now they have been grieving for who's been pronounced dead and all of a sudden they hear a baby cry and that baby is alive can you imagine being the parents what you are going through in your emotions and in your feelings well I think that's a a, a tidbit of possibly how the disciples felt it's all been gone it's diminished all these hopes and dreams and expectations. Now he is resurrected, but seven days have gone, and what do you think the feelings have gone to in that period? Well, you need to think of it this way. I begin. I, I think those disciples, every one of them, began to feel shame. You see, Peter certainly, because Peter was the one that was so vocal and and said to the young teenage girls, "I don't know this man," three times. But you also have to realize every disciple would have felt shame. Why? Because all of a sudden they begin to realize, you know, we really weren't in on his plan at all. We had our own plan. And he kept trying to tell us what it was. He kept emphasizing what was going to come. And we never really bought into his plan. And furthermore, I guess we really didn't believe him. He told us this would happen. We just kind of shook it off as if, no, that could never happen to you. And 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 he had a plan all mapped out, but we really weren't buying into that. And there would have been shame on every one of them, their their um, own personal soul and, and makeup. So they've got this spiritual need, every one of them, and they begin to realize we are very spiritually lacking. Oh, we walked with him. He sent us out to minister, and we performed miracles, and it was all great. But we know what's going on inside our own hearts. We know who we are. We know how lacking we have been. We knew how we were ashamed at periods. We knew how we walked away from his plan and must have really disappointed him. They were half committed. They said they would not leave him, but really every one of them did. Something begins to build inside of them in this seven-day period now, this thing that that, that wants to go all the way with Jesus, this thing of saying we don't want to be half-hearted anymore, half-committed. And how do we do that? How do we come out of our weak selves that doesn't seem to really get it and have power to do it? How do we get to where we ought to be? It doesn't seem to be within us. After Jesus was resurrected, he did appear to them a half dozen times. It was during one of those times that he said to them these words, Receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says he breathed on them and said in one of those resurrected, resurrection appearances, Receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe that's what it's all about you know this thing of half heartedness has always been an issue with the human race since Adam and Eve the times God's people have been partially committed and always keeping an option open now if it gets too tough we're going to jump out of the train you know in the Old Testament so many times are you still reading through the Old Testament if you are You've come across time after time after time after time, okay, the people go with God, but it's like it's a half commitment. They're always, but if it gets nicer another way, we're going to do that. If there's something else that comes along we want to jump after, we'll do that. And so it's happening. And some along the way, we'll have to admit, did really jump in all the way, but it seems like the majority just never really got it. And so many disappointing stories in the Old Testament. We have a couple of cats in our home, and and, uh, I think I shared with you a few years ago how one of those cats, Princess, the ugly one, (laughs) um, developed some issues and had to go to the vet. And after spending much, much more than I wanted to spend and coming home and getting the advice of the vet, he said to us, Now, you need to start buying your cat's more expensive food. That is not what I wanted to hear. And said, not only do you need to start doing that, you need to switch it every now and then. Don't keep them on the same food. They need to be routinely kind of changed, and this will help to a great degree these digestive issues your cat is getting. Well, I wasn't about to buy that I am stuff. That's ridiculous. I don't know who would buy their pets, that kind of stuff. But I was ready to move up to more expensive brands, but I had a plan. I'm going to buy a bag of this expensive stuff, and I'm going to buy a bag of this generic cheap stuff. And I will mix them together, and I'll feed my cats that, and so at least I'm not spending a whole lot of money. And I did that. Do you know what the cats did? They ate through the entire... Dish of food ate out all the good pieces and left all the cheap ones I mean I I am so irritated with those cats so what they do they say we're going to eat what we want and discard what we don't want and do you know that we're like that spiritually the human makeup is exactly like that with the spiritual matters in life. God, I'm going to consume all the easy stuff. I like that. I can handle this. I can handle this. I can be in church on Sunday morning after the tornado. Um, I can do all these kind of things. But when it comes to the the weightier matters, we pick and choose, don't we? That is half-heartedness. That is half-commitment. That is... Getting in partially, and that's what the Old Testament people did over and over and over. God will, sure, will follow you. We'll even declare it. As for me and my house from this day forward, we will follow the Lord. But then when it got to the tough issues, they didn't do it. And you know what happens? It always comes back to bite you. Are you catching that in the Old Testament? Half heartedness never works. It always came back to bite the people. They never got away with it. When you get desperate, or or, or we put it this way, God, how can I be free of all of this? We cry out in despair, God, I don't want this. I want to rise above this, take my half-heartedness away. And what will it take to get free of this? And when you really get desperate, God will show you. There is an answer. Only one answer, and it 's in god 's way and, and so today as we as we go through a series of sermons now on the Holy way, this is part one leading up to the day of pentecost today we are we are looking at this issue of what must we do concerning the half heartedness, this half commitment, this thing of picking out the easier things and discarding the tougher issues and And looking around us and saying, well, I'm not sure everybody else is doing it either. So I think I can slack off. What do I do? Well, now let's read from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Two parts of verses that really get right to the nitty-gritty of it all. In 1 Chronicles 29.5, David is asking this. Now... Who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then you go to the New Testament, and the Apostle Peter says this But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. What must I do? What must I do to truly make Jesus Lord of all? The disciples were at that crossroad, they were tired. Of the half commitment. They were tired of weaseling their way through. They, were, they had witnessed the resurrected Lord. They had seen the risen Lord. The exalted Lord. The ascended Lord. And it was all unbelievable. And really that was something they'll never forget. But really what was going on down in their hearts was. We need to be more. We need to be rid of carnal desires and carnal tendencies and and wanting to live for the flesh and thinking of self and not really measuring up to everything that God is asking of us. So how do we move up? Well, I've put together some bits and pieces of this and that. Six things I want to bring to your attention this morning. Number one, if you are to do that, your relationship to Christ is to be your most valued treasure Genesis 1.26. this is how it reads Then God said Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now see, it says, it uses the word us because the Trinity was conferring together Father, Son, Holy Spirit, before creation and, and God was saying, the counsel of God was saying, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. And uh, so here's the plan. They were saying to each other within the Trinity, let's make this magnificent creature. And we are. We are. We are the, the most magnificent of all of God's creation. Nothing else in the whole universe compares to us. Oh, there's animals that are bigger. I know that. A lot of them. But they're not like us. And God was saying, let's make man, but let's also shower man with an unbelievable world. And so God did. He made the planets, the stars, the galaxies that go on and on and on out there. In fact, for every person that has ever lived on this earth, I don't know how many they say, if it's billions or trillions, I don't know where it is. There's a planet for every one of us. And then it must go on beyond that. And God is saying, let's make man, but let's give him this unbelievable sky out there. And let's give him animals that are unbelievable. Let's create the plant life, and it's unbelievable. Let's create all the gems, the diamonds, the emeralds, the rubies, the sapphire." unbelievable stuff and let's give him gold and silver and platinum and and all of these things and all the elements I'm not a chemist but how many elements are there 103 106 something like that God put us into an unbelievable existence didn't he he did and I'm pretty convinced there is no place out there like earth they're trying to find it they're hoping that they can find some plant life on somewhere and and there might be to a certain degree but there is there is nothing like earth there is absolutely nothing out there anywhere like earth. What am I saying that 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 God created quite a creation in us didn't he then here's what God said God said the counsel of god said let 's give man gifts let's give him the gift of feeling emotions let's give him an intellect although man doesn't always use it let's let's let man dream let's let man have aspirations in life that he wants to achieve and go after and and, uh, so on but then the counsel of God said but most of all let's shower man with Love. And God doesn't do that with the animals, does He? They're magnificent creations, but they're not like us. And let's let man, as, as we shower him with love, let's let him know that he can live in this love every day of his life and for all eternity. Let's give him that option. That's what God was doing, wasn't it? When he created us. And uh, not a bad deal. So here's what David did. David is getting ready to have the temple built. And God is not actually going to allow David to build it. It's going to be his son who will build it. But, but as you read through the life of David. You, you realize in David's heart. He wants to build a house for God. And God has put that in his heart. Because God wants a temple built. They've had the tabernacle before that, the tent. But now the temple's going to come along. And, and God has planted the idea in David's heart. And, and David has let that idea build in his heart. And David is consumed with this will of God that God has for his life. And David's not walking away from it. That would be the easy thing to do. And and David wants to build this temple. And uh And so David gave out of his personal treasury, his personal bank account, I read this, by 1954 standards, he would have given the equivalency of $60 million for this temple. I didn't do the math, I didn't do the research, but I'm just going to kind of guess from 1954 to 2012, if we were to convert it to today's currency, probably would be something like David gave $200 million his own personal account that gives you an idea that something's going on in David's heart I love God with all my heart and God's will for me is that I do my part to get this temple built and I'm giving 200 million dollars And then David addresses the people, and he says to them, Who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord? What am I saying here? This is point one, which is your relationship to Christ must be your most valued treasure. For David, that was his most valued treasure. I will put my own personal treasury into what God wants from me in my life. And we must do the same. Let's look at number two. And that is simply this. We must make him Lord in all things. Now you've been reading through the Old Testament. And you come across time after time after time when the people just don't quite do that. Half-hearted. Some they give to God, but not all. They've been reserved. It's like... God, I'll eat through the cat food. I'm going to eat that good stuff, the easy stuff. When you're really calling me to sacrifice, when you're really calling me to stay in the train and not jump out and bail out on you, I I want to keep that option open because if it gets tough, I want to bail out. But I'll jump back in once the tough part gets over. And the Old Testament people did that, and it was always costly. That kind of living just never cut it. You see, the Christian way is not always easy. We will be tried and tested, but He must be Lord of all things and we must die to the notion that we can keep certain parts of our life to control and we can give other parts to Him. It just doesn't work. And you cannot expect God's blessing and soul of peace to come to your soul when you live that kind of christian life let's go on to number three and that is this make following christ the most important aspiration in your life what is aspiration well here's a way i'm going to explain it to you this morning you need to think of a flow chart and uh the chain of command and i was going to have uh, jonathan lanning help me here this morning and Jonathan had to go to McConnell because of the tornado and everything. But I was going to have Jonathan tell me how the flow of command works from the general on down in the Air Force. I don't know how it works. I don't know where lieutenant and colonel and sergeant and all that stuff in the Air Force. I don't know how it works down to the, you know, the private or whatever they are called in the Air Force. I don't know how it works. But I know you've got all the the guys down here, And as the flow of command goes up, it's like a funnel to where it comes to the general. And basically, ultimately, everything goes to the general. The general doesn't allow it, you don't do it. If the general orders it, you better do it. That's in staying in in keeping with the Air Force and the chain of, of command, and so in effect, Everything is filtered through the highest in command. That is your aspiration. You will please the general in command in everything he wants. Well, who is our general? Jesus Christ. And when you're living a life that is fully committed, it is everything in life your aspiration is. What does the general want? The highest in command. What am I going to do? And so most of life uh, is going to come easy, but there's going to be parts of life that you're going to have to really do your part to fit in under the submission of the High General. And that is living for Him. Now you don't make life complicated. I think that most of life when we're living in the will of God is going to be natural for the Christian. We know what to do in most situations. It's a part of life. We've learned it. And so don't make it complicated. Don't don't go around life saying, "Well, today should I take a shower or a bath? Let me let me figure this out. What does a general want?" You don't make it complicated. Cuz I've met people that do that, and God never intended it to be that way. But when you come to those weighty issues, it God is calling for something and you're saying, boy, this is going to be costly. You just get to the point where you submit totally and are obedient or it will bite you when it comes back. Let's go to number four, and that is this. Dig deep in your heart. Peter put it this way, but in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. Get down to the real you inside. I'm talking about the real, real you inside. That part of you that is the part that has to choose total consecration or not. You've got to get down to that part, and that part has to come to the place where it says, I do choose Christ in everything. You see, lip service is easy, isn't it? Lip service is talk. It's casual. It doesn't take a whole lot of thinking. It doesn't take a whole lot of emotion. You just kind of do it, and there you is. You know what lip service is like when following Christ? It's like sometimes you have those papers that come along, and they want you to sign the papers, and you don't want to read everything on that paper. You just want to get done and get on to the next thing, and so you sign your name and brush the papers aside, and you go on your way. Lip service is like that. Oh, God, you're calling me to that. Okay, sure, I'll sign the line. There I am. Lip service. Casual talk. Not a lot involved of of really contemplating, is this really getting down to the heart of me, where the real me resides? Because, see, when you dig deep, it means you've seriously considered the cost, the terms, the commitment, the service, And your heart has come to say, I'm in. I will not turn back. Remember that song, I have decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. Number five is this. Give Christ the unique place in your heart and life. Unique simply means uh, peculiar. And you're asking, what does peculiar mean? Well, it means that that location in your heart that's that valued location, that distinguished location. So when Christ is in the unique place in your heart, he alone stands in that peculiar part of your heart. That distinguished and valued part of your heart, that is for Christ. I haven't put him alongside all these other ten things that are all, all are kind of on equal standing. No, I've put Christ into that slot that stands alone from all the others. He's set apart. I've sanctified him in my heart. He has that holy place, that unique place, that peculiar place. And that's what God was after in the, in the commandment when he said, don't make for yourselves a graven image. You can't put anything beside me and just line me up with all these things also. No, I'm in that peculiar, unique, distinguished, valued part of your heart. And you see, when God created us, that's what God was doing. He was saying, Counsel of God was saying, let's make man in our image. Let's make make man in this, this way so that he can choose to put us, to put him in that peculiar part of his heart that I'm going to create for him, that the animals don't have, that no other creature has. But with man, I'm going to create him in such a way that he's got that part of his heart that can be reserved for me and me alone. And that's what it was all about. But he gives us the choice. Number six. The desire must be made once and for all. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. If if we were to do a word study on this this set apart uh, little phrase, it literally means you do it all at once which is saying you don't sanctify God in your heart, set apart Christ in your hearts in stages. It's not that you, the disciples would have said, okay, we realize we fall so far short. But let's put a plan into place where bit by bit of our heart we'll kind of start giving God a little more pieces of our heart. Or my cats, see, they, you know, uh, we'll eat one little piece here and there. You know, what it's saying in this verse is you have to make this decision. You have to come to this place in your journey with Christ where you say, Okay, I have to be fully committed. I can't do this half-hearted stuff anymore. I, I must be fully committed to Him. Jesus have all of me. All of it. Not, I can do it, well, I'll give him a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there, and maybe in time I'll get there. You see, when you get saved, your sins are forgiven. You've been carrying around a load of guilt. You've been burdened with it. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, and, and you feel the weight of your sins. And when you get saved, you literally... As in Pilgrim's Progress, the story is, he went up the hill, he met the cross, he found the Savior, and the whole backpack of sin, that whole burden of guilt, fell off his back. And his way was so much lighter. But you know what? And we trust God for that, don't we? We put our faith in Him to do that. And we didn't give those sins to Him just little sins along the way and finally we let him have all those sins we let him have the whole bag didn't we and we were glad to we gave it to him but there's another crisis moment spiritually that God calls us to and that is the moment where God calls us to give him everything everything all at once you see one is the surrender of our sins the burden of guilt we've accumulated the other is a surrender of everything inside my soul and spirit and heart set apart all at once fully committed Christ is lord Philip Keller has written a number of books and uh, he he did a sheep herding operation ranch in East Africa and he's written a number of books, uh, The Lamb of God, and Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, and a layman looks at the Lord's Prayer. And But in one of those books, uh, he shares a lot about the sheep and the whole operation of and ranching business of sheep, which is very, very interesting and and uh, very um, uh, appropriate for us to look at because God always refers to us as a sheep, Jesus is the shepherd, and so many similarities between the sheep and, and so on. But he had this one sheep and, uh, that he named Mrs. Gadabout. Now Mrs. Gadabout, he said, was a beautiful ewe. You know, a E-W-E, that's the, the mother uh, sheep. And, and he says she had a beautiful figure. She was perfect for birthing lambs. And he said, everything about this sheep was, she was beautiful. And she had birthed him several lambs. But he said, I had one problem with Mrs. Gadabout, And he said, "I, I was a good shepherd. I took very meticulous care of my ranch. And I provided very great pasture lands for my sheep, wonderful watering holes, everything they would need, and all the other things that you go into. And he said, some of the ranchers around me didn't. They would let their sheep graze the grass down to where it was almost nothing. Their watering holes were dirty and would be full of parasites and so on that sheep could get into. But he said, I, I really prided myself in providing the best of everything for my sheep. He said, the neighbor next to me, my ground was grain and grassy, and the neighbor next to me was, was eaten almost down to the ground. And he said, I had one particular sheep, Mrs. Gadabout. He, he began to discover that although his, his uh, ranch had a fence, Mrs. Gadabout would search along that fence for a hole to get through to get on to the other side. And he says, I cannot for the life of me figure what she wanted on the other side when I provided her everything she could possibly need but he said time after time after time i would go over the fence and i would bring mrs Gadabout about back and i would fix the place where she got out at but in a few days she would find another hole and she would go back through the fence and go over to the other side where the grass was almost eaten down and the water was dirty and there were parasites in it and she always seemed to want to go through the fence to the other side where it was no good Do you know that the carnal life, the double-minded life, the double-hearted life, where, God, I'll give you this part of my life, but if there's an opening in the fence, I'll go through it. And where does the opening in the fence always lead us to? The bad stuff. The bad stuff. Here's the sad part of the story. He said, Mrs. Gadabout began to lead her little lambs through the fence. And then he said, in time worse than that, there were other sheep following, and they began to go through the fence. And so he said, I did not want to do this for anything in the world. But one day I took out the knife and had to take care of Mrs. Gadabout to take care of the problem.'" Now, I know that's a strong story. Pretty strong example. But it speaks right to the heart that this God who created us to worship Him and put Him first in our lives is a God through who His Holy Spirit is calling each one of us to not be half committed, not be partially committed, not pick through our lives God this and this and this. That's okay. God, ouch, no. Not quite ready there. He's a God that says, dig deep and set apart Christ as Lord of all in your heart. Will you bow your head? Lord, we pray that you will search our hearts this morning and in these weeks to come as we look at uh, the subject of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and what you have for us, and the life you have for us, and how you call us to go higher and to give it all, and to be totally surrendered. But then, Lord, as we think about Mrs. Gadabout, to realize that in a sense we have no option if we want to do what's right. Help us to dig deep, Lord, to the very bottom of our soul, to every room of our heart, to where there is nothing left behind that we would hold in reserve for ourselves, but that you would own it all. And Lord, I pray if you are speaking to hearts right now that that there's something they need to pray about, that you'll help them to do it. And make this a day, Lord, where they would give you it all. And we pray this in your name. Amen.